welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. Hi, y'all. Good. You know, uh, recently I, I uh, had like one of the best uh, compliments uh, given to me, you know, uh, Jason. When he was talking about me to some of his new friends, he said, Hey, you know, my pastor, he preaches like an old man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, like an old man. <laughs> like an old good man? No, but yes, that's a great compliment. He means wise, I assume. Yes? No. <laughs> and long and... No, I'm just kidding. Okay, you know... uh. I have a bunch of uh, ground to cover today. You know, I wore this shirt on purpose. It's my Darth Vader shirt. Because you know, today we are not talking about a, a fun topic. You know, it's one of those heavier ones. And so I need all of you all to pay attention and listen to me and all that stuff. But uh, before that, I have a fun video that I chanced upon. I'd like to show you before we start the, uh, the message proper. Can okay, we have my video up? Okay. Get dressed and drive across town just to attend your favorite service. Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. Well, I'm excited to announce that uh, starting from next week, we're going to launch our new virtual... <laughs> You're here. <laughs> uh, isn't that an introvert's dream? Wow, you know. Wear very skinny jeans and boots, you know. Today, Chris, are you... No, you're, you're wearing white shoes. We just... We're hipster, but not too hipster. That's, that's the vibe we're going for. Subtle hipster, that's what we're going for. How <clears throat> I many of you like technology, yes? You know, it's uh, it's... Such an amazing time and amazing world that we live in today, isn't it? You know, we literally carry infinity in our pockets, and uh, it's, it's amazing, you know, the technological advancements that we've seen in our lifetime. In 1439, uh, a man named Johannes Gutenberg invented uh, something called a printing press. And the printing press spread within several decades to over 200 cities in a dozen of European countries. By 1500, printing presses in operation throughout Western Europe have produced more than 20 million volumes. And this increase in literacy paved the way for what we commonly refer to as a Protestant Reformation. And much of the church and the world that we live in today was actually changed and shaped 
by that year, 1439, and is looked upon as the year that launched the Protestant Reformation. It was looked upon as the year where everything changed. And, uh, you know, we look upon the year 2007 as something of great significance as well. 2007 will be regarded as uh, the year that started, that paved the way for what we commonly refer to as the digital age. It's the year that the Kindle was released. Come on, anyone read books? Yes? Three of us. That's awesome. Kindle? Uh, when Facebook went from a college social networking site to a global phenomenon, 2007 was a year that anyone with an email address could have a Facebook account. Twitter went from a small microblogging site in 2007. It had 400,000 tweets posted that quarter, but in 2008, it went to 100 million tweets per quarter. And uh, of course, in 2007, we know the almighty iPhone was released, which is, you know, the church's standard for what a phone should be. And, you know... How many of you remember a time where, you know, you didn't have a smartphone? Yes, you know, for people who are born in the 90s, the early 90s, you know, we remember the days where we used to sit in the bus and actually stare out the window and look at the scenery. There was a, a really weird thing called boredom back then that we had to deal with, you know, but these days we don't really have that. Uh, how many of you remember pages? Yes, pages. You had to get your page and walk to a payphone, put in a card or a 10 cent coin and then make a call. How many remember cassette tapes? Yes. Yeah, that's the way we used to listen to music. And uh, how many of you remember how to rewind a cassette tape? You have the handy pencil, you stick it in and you turn it back. And you know, we, we live in a really remarkable age, don't we? Yes, we carry infinity in our pockets. The iPhone, amazing, amazing invention. But here's the truth. We live in the most technologically connected age in the history of civilization. However, though we are supposedly more connected than we have ever been before. Research shows that we're in fact the most disconnected we've been socially in decades. Rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. In an age where ATMs have replaced bank tellers, where supermarkets have self-checkouts, and when even your university degree can be obtained without ever interacting with a real-life professor, it is now entirely possible to move through your life without connecting to anyone at all. You know, I remember I, I boarded a plane recently and I went to the airport and I, I remember going through the whole thing without a single human interaction. It was, you know, beautiful as an introvert. And that's the world that we live in today. You know, you can live your whole day, your whole lives without interacting with anyone. Everything is digital. It's automatic. Phones and other electronic devices have crossed the line from helping us to stay connected more easily to creating a sense of disconnection and isolation. Dropping everything to check how many likes and shares a post has gotten is not the same as the deeper connection that comes from a heart-to-heart -heart talk with a real-life actual person. Do we agree on that? Yes? I know I'm, I'm, I'm setting the ground. We are, we, are getting, we are getting somewhere. Another study, poignantly titled, My Life Has Become a Major Distraction from My Phone, concluded that when a spouse checks out of the real world and into the virtual one, conflict arises and it negatively impacts their relationship. The authors conclude that it is ironic that cell phones, originally designed as communication tool, may actually hinder rather than foster satisfying relationships among romantic partners. And all the husbands and wives say, Amen. Amen. Put your phone down. Disconnection or loneliness as a result of digital advancement is becoming such a problem that it is referred to all around the world as a loneliness epidemic, that we live in the age where there is a loneliness epidemic. And here's the deal. We think of loneliness 
as something that only affects the elderly, the sick, or the geographically displaced, when in fact we are all susceptible to feelings of loneliness, and some of us here today might not even realize it. Though you may not realize it, the feelings of loneliness actually drive and influence the majority of your decisions and interactions today. And today, you know, I'd like to speak to you on the subject, overcoming loneliness. And, you know, no fun. That's why black and white slides. Black and white shirt, black, black everything. It makes me look skinnier also. <laughs> Are you good? Yes, you know, I, it's, it's a heavy topic, you know, but, and, and I think, you know, um, it's the holiday season, and we, we know that the holiday season is commonly associated with great joy, you know, People are having lots of fun, but no, uh, research and studies have shown that uh, the holiday seasons are also seasons where suicide rate goes up, feelings of loneliness, loss, depression goes up. And you know, some of you might be sitting here today in the midst of the joy that we sing about, in the midst of the hustle and bustle of city life, and you might be sitting there feeling lonely, empty, void, you know, and this sermon is for you and for the rest of us, you know, who might use busyness to cover up the real void that we feel inside. This sermon is for you as well, yeah. right? And so I'm speaking today on the subject, overcoming loneliness. Can we pray before we begin? Yes, are you all with me? Good, good. Well, Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering here today in your presence. Lord, we don't take that lightly or for granted. Lord, we thank you for the free access that we have to your presence. And God, we ask indeed that as we speak on this subject, as we look upon your word, as we hear from you this morning, Lord, that truly you will help us reframe our perspective. Help us reframe our perspective. Help us to see that we don't live through this life alone. That we can look to the hill from where our help comes from. God, we ask that today, that let the nearness of your very presence be made apparent to every individual. Lord, quicken our hearts, quicken our spirits to experience you, to feel your very nearness in the midst of our pain, our disappointment, our sense of loss, our loneliness, God, that your ever-present help, that reality that you are our ever-present help will be made manifest in every life. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You know, today I speak with some of you in mind. You know, some of you are perhaps going through the loneliest season of your life. It could be the loss of a loved one. You lost a loved one recently. It could be a broken, a fragmented relationship. Maybe some of you are here today, you know, you just moved from a different country, from a different town, switched churches, or, mo- or moved on from a different friend group. You're here today, and perhaps it's the loneliest season you've ever faced in your life. I pray that, you know, through this message, you'll find solace as well as some tools to aid you. And, um, in, in, you know, I spent a few days, you know, reflecting on this topic, and uh, I admit I got a bit emo, you know, and I was just doing a bit of reflecting and thinking about the church and uh, our interactions with one another and, you know, how we can be better. How, how, how do we, you know, as a church answer this problem and this question of loneliness? And I think one of the things that we can do better is that we can really be intentional with creating a safe place for lonely people. Yeah. That when people come to Know, this, this hall, this congregation, our meetings, so that they will experience warmth, nurturing the embrace of people, that we will make an intentional effort to reach the lonely. You know, I think we can do that. You know, we can pay extra attention and meet these people. And, you know, in reflecting further, uh, I also like to, you know, 
cause to do one, one thing. And, um, you know, I've, I've been guilty of, of doing the same thing, but I think we should stop uh, putting unnecessary pressure on our single people. <laughs> you know, I, I made a lot of uh, single jokes from my high horse of marriage. And, uh, and you know, and of course, you know, we, we're a bunch of y'all are well-meaning and, you know, very enthusiastic about stuff like that. You know? but, I, but I think, you know, it's, it's something that we can, you know, uh, do it better. And I think when it's, you know, making fun of and ridiculing, I think that's crossing the line a bit. You know? But I think we can endeavor to be a safer place for lonely people, for people battling loneliness and watch them get healed up, watch them get nurtured into wholeness. I think that's the vision and that's the charge I would like to leave us as church if you were to remember anything from this message. Just remember that one thing. Huh? Okay. Uh, I have uh, three uh, points for us today, you know, three goals that I would like for us to leave with aside from that. And this is the three goals. One, I would like for us to all realize that we are all susceptible to loneliness. We are all susceptible to loneliness. Point two is this. It is possible to be surrounded by people all the time and still battle loneliness. It is possible. And I'd like to share, that, share further on that. And the third point is this. It is also possible to be alone, to be in solitude, and yet be unlonely. Yet be unlonely. I love this. This is so introvert message. <clears throat> Have you ever thought, uh, when was the first time God said that something was not good? You know, I don't think we're unfamiliar with the Bible and the passages of Scripture. And you would think that, you know, the first time God remarked that something was not good, it would be about like, the lack of food, the lack of shelter, something that was evil or bad. But he said this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. God himself speaks these words after creating the first human being. The crowning glory of his creation, made in God's image, Adam is surrounded by indescribable beauty in the Garden of Eden with his unlimited fruit, lush foliage, and wide array of wildlife. Yet, there is something missing, or rather, someone is missing. It is not good for men to be alone. Now the question is this, what is loneliness? What is loneliness? And the common definition is this, it's the state of sadness that comes from feeling alone, isolated, or cut off from others. State of sadness that comes from feeling alone, isolated, or cut off from others. Loneliness is the emotion that arises when you feel that you have little control over being alone. You feel isolated and abandoned and wish your circumstances were different. Loneliness is the sense of isolation that is always accompanied by the feeling of alienation and has always been a feature of the human condition. Loneliness is not some newfangled millennial inven invention that occurred recently with this like soft avocado-like millennials that are like, oh, suddenly I'm so lonely. You know, loneliness has been a feature of the human condition since the dawn of time. King David battled with intense bouts of loneliness when he was chased by Saul at Ziklag when his best friends turned against him. The Bible uh, gives us clues on that. Uh, let's just look at those couple of passages of scriptures about David. It says, to me in, uh, says in Psalms 25, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Next, Psalm 69, it says, Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. Wow. David had his emo times. And if you really read the psalm, it's at times really depressing. I would say that Jesus himself even battled with loneliness. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 3, that he was despised and rejected 
by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we are, we are all familiar with this passage in Mark 15. And at the ninth hour, Jesus shouted in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabanani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself battled with loneliness. The feelings of isolation, of alienation, of abandonment. During the 19th century, loneliness became associated with people's inner state and philosophers such as Soren Kierkegaard were preoccupied with the fear of loneliness. Until the 21st century, loneliness was principally a problem addressed by theologians, philosophers, sociologists, poets, and artists. But in recent times, it has become an issue for healthcare professionals. Research shows that loneliness and social isolations are actually Harmful to our health, lacking social connections is a comparable risk factor for early death. And research has shown that loneliness in many ways is in fact a better indicator for early death than smoking, excessive drinking, a sedentary lifestyle. There are more numbers associated with early death that can be attributed to loneliness. Loneliness actually increases the likelihood of mortality by 26%. In a scientific journal published in 1988, it says this, social relationships or the relative lack thereof constitute a major risk factor for health, rivaling the effect of well-established health risk factors such as cigarette smoking, blood pressure, blood lipids, obesity, and physical activity. My point is this, now Britney Spears had it right when she said, my loneliness is killing me. <laughs> and I, that was actually my, my, that was my sermon title actually, my loneliness is killing me, you know. And then I wrap it up and, uh, and we end off the sermon with, I must confess, I still believe. Okay. If you know any more lyrics after that, you're hidden and you need to... I don't know whether you'll know, but Britney's back. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the Backstreet Boys had it right when they asked their philosophical question, show me the meaning of being lonely, you know. Yes, or for our older folks, you know, Whitney had it right when she asked the emotional question, where do broken hearts go? Where do broken hearts go? And for people who are more of my era, Acorn with Mr. Lonely, that's, uh, that's my jam, you know, when, you know, the, the lyrics go like, lonely, I'm so lonely, I'm Mr. Lonely, I've all on my own, wow. You know, and that's a, that's a classic breakup song, and I'm sure that that, 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 that number has got uh, many playlists on Many plays on Axel's plays here. Yeah. Yeah. He confessed. Yeah, but, but you know, and you know, I, I did like a, a bit of research and I looked at all the chart toppers and you'll be surprised at how depressing the, the top songs are, you know, in the last 10 years are actually, you know, a bunch of them are all about loneliness, about feelings of despair, about breakup, tapu ya wo, tapu ya wo, that kind of song, you know, and... And it's, it's so scary, you know, but, you know, and it, it says to me that, you know, really loneliness is more than just a feeling that a small percentage of the population go to the elderly, the sick, but loneliness is actually an epidemic and all of us battle with some form, some fashion of loneliness. And if we don't realize it, we are unaware that it actually drives so much of our, the decisions we make in life. It drives how we interact with people. It drives the fears that we battle in our life. And we need to realize that we are all susceptible. And some of us are living in loneliness today. Earlier this year, the UK government appointed Miss Tracy Crouch into the newly established post of Minister for Loneliness. 
The appointment follows a series of alarming reports about the prevalence of loneliness among elderly people. Recently, the problem expanded to include young people. And I chanced upon this poem recently. I'm going to read it to you and get, might get a little bit depressing, but you know, we're going to end with Jesus and hope. And so, you know, spoilers. <clears throat> the poem goes like this. Loneliness is like a piano without keys, like a violin without strings, like a sanctuary with no congregation. Thank you for showing up. Or a choir where no one sings. Loneliness is like a blade of grass growing through a crack of cement. Loneliness is like a campground without a single tent. Loneliness is like a mockingbird that cannot sing a song. Loneliness is a feeling that one does not belong. Like a pansy in a cornfield, hidden where no one can see. I know all there is to know about loneliness because it lives inside of me. (laughs) For some of us, those words, they ring through. Don't they? You know, they go, oh my gosh, this is my jam. This is, yeah, nobody see me. I'm like a pansy in a cornfield, whatever that is. Blade of grass going through, crack of cement, you know. Albert Einstein reportedly once said, it is strange to be so universally known and yet be so lonely. Loneliness strikes at the heart of the most famous and the totally unknown people of the world. Loneliness is a real problem and a real issue for everyone at one time or another. And today you might go like, hey, no, this is not relevant to me. You know, this might be more relevant for my parents or my grandparents, people who are older, people who have less friends. If you don't know, I have 1,500 friends on Facebook. I'm good. You might think that this whole loneliness thing, it doesn't, it's not applicable to me. It's not my struggle. I think the mistake that we make is that we think that loneliness is synonymous with being alone. Being alone refers to the physical. It's the state of being separated from others. But being lonely refers to the emotional. It's the state of feeling isolated, rejected, or desolate. Being alone is a state of being, while loneliness is a state of mind. And a person can be alone without feeling lonely, since alone describes a state of being and lonely describes an emotional response to one's circumstances. I don't think later when you go to the bathroom alone, you'll go, I'm so lonely, rejected, desolate, scum of the earth, nobody wants to go to the toilet with me. You know, unless, you know, I know, and this is a generalization, I'm aware some of the girls like to go to the toilet together, you know. I don't know, we have a sofa in there that they can hang out. I, I've never been, so I don't know, but... <laughs> right, nobody will feel like the sense of loneliness when they go to the toilet alone, right? Because it's distinct. You can be alone, yet be unlonely. But the same would apply on the flip side, that you can be surrounded, yet battle with feelings of being rejected, battle with feelings of isolation, battle with feelings of desolation, battle with feelings of alienation. Loneliness is an emotional state. On the 4th of October 1970, the famed rock star Janis Joplin, at the age of 27, was found dead in a Los Angeles hotel room. Questions arose as to whether the cause of a tragic death was suicide or an accident. Later, police reported that they located a small quantity of heroin in the rock singer's room. There were also needle marks on her arm just before the incident. Janice had admitted to a friend, when I'm not on the theater stage, I just lie around and watch television and feel very lonely. Marilyn Monroe, who had the world at her feet, died from an overdose of sleeping pills and she died in loneliness. The king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, just before he died, wrote on a note these words, I feel so alone sometimes, 
I love to be able to sleep. I'll probably not be able to rest. I have no need for all this. Help me, God. After the death of her husband, Queen Victoria of England said, there is no one left to call me Victoria. Even though she was a queen, she knew what it meant to be lonely. Well, very sad all this moment, but we're getting somewhere, we're getting somewhere. Pastor Billy Wilson uh, has this amazing quote about loneliness. He says this, Loneliness is an emotional epidemic in today's world. Millions of people suffer from this infirmity of spirit and yet have no idea of how to overcome loneliness. There is no human condition so acute or so universal as loneliness. It's something that we all battle with as people in society, as people who have social interactions, as people on planet Earth. We battle with loneliness. Now, we often define loneliness ourselves in terms of physical or emotional terms, or to put it differently, we define loneliness as the absence of people, whether physically or emotionally, right? And this is how loneliness normally looks. We get lonely, and our first reaction is, I need to be more social. I need to have more friends. And we start going looking for more social opportunities, more people to hang out with, more times of getting together with more people. And somewhere along the way, we think, well, this isn't working out. So we think, oh, it's because these people, they don't get me. They don't get my love languages and the way I feel love. So we don't just need a greater quantity of people. We need a greater quality of people. And we need people in life who love us like we should be loved. And so the answer is not that we need more people in our lives. We need more considerate people in our lives. And so we define it as a physical or emotionally. But the problem is that we still experience pain at the end of the day. We still battle loneliness no matter how many friends you have, no matter the quality of the friends that you have. Loneliness still remains because there's more to the story here. Loneliness is not just an emotional or a physical struggle issue. It is a spiritual issue. Loneliness is not merely the absence of people. It is also the felt presence of pain in our lives. The Bible uh, tells us this, that when man was created, we were made from the dust of the ground and God's spirit was breathed into that form and man became alive, became a living soul. We were made from the dust of the ground, soil, if you will, and we were made, and God's spirit was breathed into us. We were made from the earth, and God's spirit was breathed into us. And it says to me a few things. It says to me that we are human, not gods. We agree on that, yes. But it also says to me that we are finite, not infinite. It also says to me that we are limited, not unlimited. Today, you know, as human beings living on this planet, we all have the same limitations. You know, we're limited to 24 hours a day. We're limited to certain needs that we need met, no matter what. The need for air, oxygen. You're welcome. We're providing oxygen for you in this place. Welcome. No, just kidding. But we, we have a common need. You no, know, we thirst. We need water. We need to drink. We need to eat. We need sustenance. We all have these universal needs that we all you know, are limited to in, in, in many ways, in many regards, as human beings. But you know, it is not just physical needs that we have, but we also have needs of the soul, needs of the spirit. And these, I believe, are universal to every human being. Every single person that lives on planet Earth has these same spiritual needs. And these are the three needs that I, I think are universal to every human being, and it's the need to be loved, the need to be understood, and the need to be valued or needed. The need to be loved, the need to be understood, the need to be valued or needed. 
And I believe our soul craves for these three things, to be loved, to be understood, to be valued. And if any one of them is out of sync, it sends us spiraling down into the overwhelming feelings of loneliness, of isolation, of alienation. Nobody gets me. Nobody knows me. I'm not loved. I'm not valued. Therefore, by extension, I don't belong. My loneliness is killing me. Have you ever felt lonely in the midst of a crowd? Truly. Feeling separate from people while in the midst of people? It is as if a great invisible wall is keeping you isolated, allowing you to observe but not belong. Have you ever felt so alone and burdened by sorrows that it was painful to watch others smile, chat, laugh, and go on with their lives with apparent contentment? And in this condition, it can feel like no one walks in your shoes, understands your pain, or senses your struggle. Being lonely is this, is that kind of aching that resonates in your chest, that dull, constant feeling that follows you around all day long. It doesn't matter what you're doing or whom you are with. It is impossible to shake that feeling. Loneliness. You know, I, I have a, 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 a loneliness checklist I like to put up there. And these are common sayings, common thoughts of people who battle with loneliness. And some of you might relate to certain, some of these statements. You might have even said it. You might have even thought it. I feel all alone. I don't believe anyone understands the way I feel. I don't really matter to anyone. I don't have any good qualities that draw people to me. I can't seem to connect with other people. I will never find anyone to love me. I'm tired of trying to make people like me. I always fail. I always feel excluded. I'm always on the outside. I'm too messed up for anyone to like me or want to be around me. I don't deserve to be loved or to have friends. I think I'm the only one who feels like this. I don't know whether you relate with any of these statements. But if you do, my suggestion to you this morning is that you battle with loneliness, even though you're surrounded by people. Loneliness will often drive us to using stuff, bad relationships, bad habits, sin, to fill that emptiness and void. Some get into dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional relationships, unable to live life alone. Some use vices, alcohol, drugs to numb their pain. Some use senseless entertainment to occupy them, but when the noise inevitably fades, they are left empty and void again. Some of us pack our schedules crazy. We are with people all the time. When we are not with people, we are at home. We binge Netflix. You know, we have noise going on all the time. Some of us can't deal with any uh, resemblance of silence. You know, we need music. We can't sleep without noise in our ears. Because here's the truth. We are afraid of the silence. We are afraid of the sense of solitude because it reminds us of how lonely we actually are. Some, you know, who battle loneliness will get really possessive when, when it comes to relationships. They will so fear being alone that they will get insecure when their friends become better friends with other people. Or when they find a significant other. Oh my gosh, you abandoned me. How can you? We all know people like that, yeah? <laughs> but some of us are like that. Um, you know, you know. I, I was, I was thinking whether to share this, but, but I, I will. But um, you know, I, I like to say this. Like, as the leader of the church, you know, some most of you all will go like, "Oh, no, Andre is doing public speaking. He's surrounded by people all the time, and he has many friends on Facebook, and you know, he seems like you know has it all together." But I, I like to say, you know, even as the leader of the church, which is this great community that we're all part of, I battle with loneliness all the time. I battle with loneliness all the time, and some of you might find, you know solace in knowing that, that you're not alone in your struggle. 
And even as the pastor of the leader of church, I battle with that sense of loneliness, you know. Um, no, some of you might be aware of this, but recently, you know, I had a little health scare. You know, um, in the month of August, I got uh, some bad uh, news, you know, with a with a blood report. Um, basically, you know, for the whole year, you know, I felt there was something off um, in two things, in two areas. I felt there was something off uh, in my health. I felt like my body is a bit off. But I also felt something off um, in my spiritual walk with Jesus. You know, I was not in sin. Rest assured, I was not. You know. A heathen or evil person. I was just—I just felt something was off uh, in my spiritual walk with Jesus, and and I, I, I needed to figure out what was wrong, you know. And so, uh, long story short, you know, uh, in the month of August, I went for a blood test. I went for a blood test, and I remember uh, I took the test, and I was right in the middle of a sermon series we did on miracles. Somebody remember that? Yeah, I was I was talking a lot about miracles, and uh, on Sunday morning, I remember I, I, I preached a message called uh, Unanswered Prayer. I mean, remember that, yeah, you know, I talk about unanswered prayer, I talk about how do you navigate uh, through lost disappointment, how do you navigate through situations where you wish for the outcome to be different, how do you navigate disappointment with God. I remember uh, preaching my heart out and after I was done, you know, uh, Amy comes up to me and she said, hey, uh, the doctor called, he said the report is not good and you need to go to hospital now. And I was like, now? She's like, yeah, he said you have to go right now. And so, uh, and so you know, I, I, of course, you know, packed up my stuff, and I went to the prayer team, got prayer, and then I left the hospital. And so when I got there, uh, the, the doctor looked at me and said that, hey, you know, you present a condition, uh, you're presenting symptoms, uh, no, your report would suggest that uh, you are presenting the conditions for a, presenting the symptoms for a condition that will suggest that you are uh, severely dehydrated, even on a cellular level. And he said that we expected you to come in uh, you know, not being able to walk. We expected you to come in all confused, delirious. We expected you to come in because um, we there was a risk that you would have a stroke. And so you're saying all this, but no, I looked okay. I just preached for an hour talking to you. And so I was like, I was clearly fine. And so I was like, okay, drink a bunch of water. And so I was there. He gave me some medication. But he said, hey, no matter what, you know, uh, you, you look okay, but your blood sugar levels are way off the mark way off the mark, and he's like, you need to see someone about it. And uh, so, you know, I made an appointment for an endocrine uh, guy uh, the next day. Uh, Backstory, my parents, both of them uh, have uh, diabetes. A bunch of my uncles and aunties have diabetes as well, and so it's it's somewhere there, you know, but no one would imagine at 28 years old that uh, I'll have a condition like that. And so, I went to see the endocrine guy, and he looks at me, and he said, uh, confirm. Confirm you have. Confirm. And then, uh, you know, it's like, thank you, doctor. And <laughs> it didn't help that I saw the Bible there. I was like, what oh, Lord, this guy? It's a crisis of faith. And, uh, and so he said, confirm. And then he said, uh, yeah, and uh, you are confirmed type 1. And you know, for those of you who are not familiar with the types, you know, type 1 uh, is uh, insulin dependent. That means you have to take jabs. Uh, it's genetic. Uh, it will likely get passed on to your kids. You know, it's there in the family line, and and uh, you kind of live with it your whole life, and uh, it will progressively get get worse. Type two is more if if a lifestyle thing. There is a genetic kind of uh, correlation there, but uh, you can really, if you make serious effort and serious decisions, you know, you can really keep it at, at bay. You know, and it's it's a better diagnosis in, in my opinion. And so when you said type one, you know. Um, no, I wish I was the man of faith then, you know, my, but my whole world came crashing down. I was like, wow, you know, burden to Amy, 
passed down to my kids, injections, I hated needles, you know. And so uh, it didn't help. Like, I, I went back alone that, that day, you know, Amy was in school. And so I remember sitting in my bed, and uh, it was in the morning, and I lied in bed all the way till uh, night. And, uh, and, you know, just being overwhelmed with the sense of loneliness, abandonment and despair. And I, it didn't help that, you know, I was reading the Bible uh, for the, the few months and, and the story that really, really like ministered to me was, a, was funny enough, the story of Uriah. I don't know whether you know who Uriah is, but Uriah was Bathsheba's husband. And David sinned by like sending Uriah to the front lines of battle to be killed. And so he pushed him out all alone and then he was exposed to the enemy and he died. And so when I read the story, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so me. That's so me. I feel so Uriah, you know. And, and, and I was looking at that, I was like, oh, that, that is me, woe is me. And I was really marinating that, you know. And, and, and you know, of course, you know, at this point, you, you go like, hey, it's not a big deal. And I will tell you that it's not a big deal. And that's why I haven't talked about it till today. You know, it's, not, it's really not a big deal. But in that moment, it felt like my whole life came crashing down. And I felt like a burden to Amy. I felt like there was no way out of this. And the diagnosis honestly caused me a bunch of fear. And the thoughts that went through my mind were like, oh my gosh, Jesus, I literally work for you. <laughs> you know, and, and I do this thing and I talk about miracles. I pray for the sick and people get okay, you know. And like, why? Why, why me, you know? And, and, uh, and you know, the, it's, it's funny how like, you know, a, a negative thought is like one of those like uh, wayward threads that you get on your sweaters, like when you pull it, it just unravels and it gets you know, worse and worse and worse. And at one point, it spiraled into thoughts of suicide. Thoughts that, you know, hey, you know, why put Amy through this misery? Why pass it down to kids? I should just kill myself, you know? And, and I turned to, you know, a place of solace to distract myself. I put, turned on Facebook. And uh, when I looked upon Facebook, you know, uh, a friend reposted, uh, something that well, was going around that time and it was a pastor who battled with depression, who battled with thoughts of loneliness and isolation and he killed himself. And it was in his early 30s and it was coincidentally a new lead pastor of a church. And I saw the picture of him, I saw his wife, I saw his three kids and you know, of course, you know, there were like a bunch of tributes and people like, oh, the wife is all alone now. And I looked at it and I was like, you know, it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks and I, and I snapped out of it. And I got out and... Uh, but I still felt lonely, I still felt alone, I still felt abandoned. And uh, probably one of the most painful things I had to do was uh, that night after the diagnosis, I got back home and I put up the video of me preaching that morning on Answered Prayer and listened to myself talk about how to navigate through loss and disappointment. And I'll kid you not, man, I looked at that thing and I'm like, this ignorant fool. It's like, he, doesn't, he has not been through life, you know? And, and I looked at it and it was... It was tough. I was so offended at myself, you know. And, and it, was, it was tough, you know, but it was, it was a long, long process. And you know, we, we, we all battle with loneliness, the feelings of being alone, being abandoned, being isolated, being alienated, being forsaken. You know? Hits us all at different points of time, be it in crisis, be it in loss, or maybe you live with it perpetually. You, know? you just struggle to come to an agreement of how valued and how worthy you are. And you know, today, you know, I, I, I want to... You know, I, I read this quote recently, and it, it goes like this, that it is impossible to lift the banners of victim and victor at the same time. You can't lift the banner of victim and victor at the same time. You have to choose to put one down. And some of us live life going like, I'm alone, 
Woe is me, it sucks. Do you know my circumstances? Do you know what I've been through? Do you know what I'm going through right now? And we lift up the banner of victim and we walk around proudly, not knowing that coming into agreement with that, choosing to live that life through that lens, choosing to live as though that's your identity, is actually stopping you from living the victorious life. It's impossible to live the life of victim and victor at the same time. We have to make a decision in life to choose to put down. Yes, you know, the, the things suck. Yes, things are horrible. Yes, things could be better. Yes, the outcome is not ideal. But hey, I still choose to cling on to the goodness of God. I still choose to cling on to faith. It is impossible to live the victorious life. The victim is your identity. Put it down. It sucks. You know, we, we all can agree with you. It sucks. But make decision. Put it down. And choose to live victorious instead. Some of you battle loneliness that are a result of circumstance, or maybe you battle with regret or shame. Others, it may be even because of certain convictions you have given yourself to as a Christ follower. Some of you battle with loneliness in the workplace because you have made a stand for Jesus Christ. And you're alone. You feel lonely. And today, you know, in closing, I want to share you a bunch of steps, uh, tools that I've uh, come to uh, embrace in the recent months. Uh, it really helped me battle loneliness. And just a health update, you know, um, I, I had really bad uh, readings, and so the doctor gave me three really strong pills and said that, hey, you know, just uh, take it. It's probably not going to work because you're type one. And then I took the pills, and uh, suddenly it began to work. And so they did a second round of tests, and they're like, hey, actually, you're not one. My confirm, confirm, confirm was wrong. And so, and so, and so, sorry, I just rolled my eyes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry, doctor, you're watching, but come on, brother. And so uh, after, after, like a, after almost a couple of weeks of that diagnosis, he realized that actually you're two. Actually, you can take steps to keep this thing at bay. And so what happened was, uh, if you realize, you know, I'm wearing an M now. I'm wearing a medium. Uh, I lost 15 kilos over the last few months. Uh, Bought a gym membership. <laughs> uh, you know, and, 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 and it, it overall healthier. And I think you know, part of providence, you know, part of God's providence was that my wife, Amy, she got into a health kick like, before this thing started. And so she had all these meal plans, all these like eat green only kind of a deal and all these exercises. And so Amy was like steady as a rock when the diagnosis came. You know, she, of course she bothered her, but then she go like, hey, we're going to come through this. And so every night she'll make me take communion. And... And, uh, and she's, she's amazing. She's a gift from God. And she's the reason why you know, I'm, I'm here and doing so well. And, uh, and so after all that weight loss, uh, I've gone from three pills. I'm now down to half a pill, which is like a big step. And the doctor go like, are you sure? No, can you keep it up to this? No, huh? huh? Why have you come in? And so, so, yeah. So, I'm complaining about the doctor. And, but... So the doctor was like, can one man, you know, you sure not? But, but you know, I, I'm all, all that to say I'm doing really well and my goal is to come off the medication completely. And, uh, and you know, I've never been inclined to having a six-pack because it's so far out. But, you know, now I'm thinking like, mm, maybe, you know, sounds like a good idea. And uh, Amy's cell group, uh, which is the cell group they're part of, we all sign up for a 10K. We are all running a 10-kilometer run uh, in, in, in April. And it's on a Sunday morning, and so I will crawl to church if I have to, but, you know. But, but yeah, I must finish before service start. Yeah, so. But yes, you know, and, and so, you know, all the steps in the right direction, uh, but uh, I'm doing really well. So I'd like to share with you some tools and some uh, steps to take if you're battling your loneliness, and uh, we're just going to get through this 
quickly and we're going to end uh, with prayer. Uh, the first step is this, that you have to reframe your perspective. Everybody say reframe your perspective. Reframe your perspective. And there's a chunk, chunk of scripture I want to take you to, but I don't think I need to. But uh, let's put it up, First Kings chapter 19. And, uh, you know, we're all familiar with the story of uh, Elijah. In First Kings uh, chapter 18, we, we see Elijah just had a showdown with the prophets of Baal and triumphed over them in dramatic fashion. He witnessed the fire of God coming down and consuming the sacrifice. He had seen a horrible drought ended. And the chapter in 18 literally ended with this verse, and the hand of God came upon Elijah. Now, will we admit that Elijah was at an all-time high? Can you imagine that? You know, he saw all the miracles, he just defeated the enemy, and it said that the hand of God was upon Elijah. And this, to me, is probably the most dramatic, drastic shifts in the Bible from chapter to chapter. In chapter 18, it was like all-time high. It's like, Elijah, the man! And in chapter 19, it, all of a sudden, it shifted. It shifted with this. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had ex- executed all the prophets of the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Will we admit that this is a big shift? Drastic shift. He was all-time high. He was the man. And now he is suicidal because of a death threat. Next slide. It says this in verse 11. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for you, Lord God, of course, because of the children because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your idols, and killed your prophets with the sword, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. This is a really familiar prayer, right? You know, I've been so faithful for you, God. I've done all the right things, but now I alone am left. No one else but me. I am forsaken. It's just me. Next slide. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazel, 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 yeah, that sounds better. As king of Syria, also you should anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king of Israel. I did not go to Bible school. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, don't even attempt that. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill it, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah will kill it. Yet I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Here God was reminding Elijah that, hey, you say that you are alone, but are you really alone? I have reserved 7,000 who have not bowed to the idols of Baal, who have not kissed his feet, who have not forsaken the ways of God. I have reserved for them that you are truly not alone. And today I'd like to invite you to reframe your perspective. Are you really alone? Is there really no one? Are you truly forsaken? Are you truly isolated? 
You see, Elijah's feelings of fear and being forsaken were very real and legitimate. Do we agree on that? Yes. However, in that moment, God was leading him to supersede his feelings with faith. And that's a journey we all have to embark on. In that moment, Elijah had to push aside his feelings, though real, though legitimate, though apparent, as they may be in favor of God's word. And some might say, isn't it hypocritical to ignore your feelings? Isn't it hypocritical to push them aside? Isn't it hypocritical to not be led by your feelings, not acknowledge them? You see, it's not about choosing to not, not acknowledge your feelings. Your feelings are real, they are legitimate. But it's to deny your feelings a place of influence. It's not hypocritical for us. You know, some of you might say it's hypocritical to not you know, admit that you have certain feelings of fear. I'll put it to you that it's hypocritical for us to profess to be a people of faith and only be motivated in life by feeling. As people of faith, you know, we have that unique opportunity to supersede the feelings that we experience, though real as they may be, and live by faith. Because in the kingdom, in this economy that we live in called the kingdom, faith is more real than feeling. The question I have for you is this. Are your thoughts, your feelings in line with the truth of God's word over you? If not, then they are in, by definition in conflict. And just as one man can't serve two masters, something has got to give. What will you choose? What banner will you choose to lay down? The truth is, no matter how dark the circumstances where you are at in life, the loss, the defeat they experience, the darkness that you go through, you are not alone. I think of a group of men who has been through loss after loss after loss, defeat after defeat after defeat, failed expectation after failed expectation after failed expectation, and they have all rallied behind this one statement, you will never walk alone. That's a slogan on Liverpool Football Club, if you didn't know. <laughs> Arsenal is doing really well, but yeah. Woo! <laughs> All right. <laughs> next one. Uh, next step is this to build meaningful communities. Build meaningful communities. And this is pretty self explanatory, right? I don't think anyone here will disagree with the importance of community, right? Yes, you know, we all know community is important. We all, we all agree in that. That's why we are here in church as opposed to you know, the VR set. But I would like to make a couple of points about community before moving on. And there's this. In order for community to move from being a social gathering into something that carries meaning, we have to move from surface level shallow interactions and fight for the deep. We have to fight for the deep. And what that means is that we have to willingly show up and be ready to share, to engage with our hearts. We come into community ready to engage, ready to share. And that is fighting for the deep. And one of the primary forces that, to, that drives loneliness is the lack of being understood. And often people experience that because they do not feel liberated to share and allow others into their world to understand their struggles. And the question for us today, you know, in this pursuit of deep, meaningful community is this. Do you have people that you not just confide in and share problems, but do you have people in your life that you confess your sins to? That you confess your sins to? And that's a biblical practice that has been lost. The beauty is that we get to confess our sins to God directly today. We all agree in that. We don't need to go through a medium. But I believe an aspect of the equation is confessing 
to one another. And the Bible admonishes us to do so, in fact. God wants us to have people alongside that will keep us accountable and fight for our freedom. See, our sin shouldn't drive us away from people. It should drive us to people. While God is the one who forgives sin, I believe part of the equation, part of the way he designed things to be is for us to walk with people, to confess our sins to people so that we may have partners, brothers and sisters to journey with us into transformation. Here's my charge to you. Don't go after being the life of the party. Don't go after being the one that everyone likes. Don't go after being the popular person. Stuff like that will fit. Imagine I was popular in secondary school. I was extrovert. But you know, circumstances of life made me introvert. <laughs> Things like that will fit, right? It's, it's not... It's not it's, it's a goal that will, will eventually disappoint. Don't go after these things. But go after building deep, meaningful communities for yourself. Pick the one guy. Pick the two guys that you will journey in, that you will intentionally show up, be present, express your need, confess your sins, share of your life. Don't just go for quantity. Don't just go for popularity. Go for deep, meaningful communities. My, my question to you today is that, do you have that? Do you have the one, two guys in your life, the one, two girls in your life that you can confess sins to, that you can share problems with, that you can really show up, be present, be accepted and loved for who you are in the midst of your struggle, your pain, your shame? People that will love you unconditionally. Do you have that? If you don't, I so zealously want you to have that. And I use this word, build. Build community. Build community. And most of us, you know, Truthfully, we come into church environments or we come to new environments and we expect to hit the community lottery. Like we're going and like, ta-da, you know, these people all understand me. These people I can all jive with. You know, these people, they, like, they are just my people. You know? And we expect to hit the community lottery in every area of our life, do we? But I, I tell you, truthfully, community is hard work. It's hard work. And what does that hard work? It means that sometimes you've got to show up when you don't want to show up. It means that sometimes you got to share when you don't want to share. It means sometimes that you have people that you disagree with, that you don't jive with, and you have to make an intentional effort to like the person. Building community is tough work. It's not passive, it's active. And it's something that you have to fight for. That means you have to overcome disagreement, differences, and even assumptions about each other. You know, there's this uh, pattern that has uh, emerged in my life, you know, um, you know, whenever I, 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 I go to a room and, uh, you know, there are some people that just, you know, the, you just know that there is no uh, <laughs> chemistry is one word, but, you know, nikampu uh, sunyan. You just look at the guy and you're like, I know I won't like you, you know? And, or, you know, you, you walk, or th- this might be even, uh, as a pastor, I don't do that. You know, I like all your... Love at first sight, but uh, okay, maybe there's something more relevant. Okay, sometimes you go through life, okay, and we go like, like, oh, this person confirmed don't like me. Like that time I, I walked past a person and the person didn't say anything or didn't say hi. Or this person like said hi to me, but it did so like begrudgingly, like hi, you know, and 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 you form these assumptions, you know, you form a narrative in your head, do we? Yes. You know, I remember going to a gym and one day I was lifting, you know, and then this guy walked past me and he, he like, just did this. And, you know, and, and in my head, I formed a narrative like, this guy thinks I'm weak. This guy thinks I don't belong here. This guy thinks I'm hogging a machine. You know, I'm going to add five more. And, and they're like, eh. Hey. And like, is the guy looking? Is the guy looking? And you form this narrative in your head. 
you form assumptions in your head, you know. And, and one of the, the things I've discovered as a pattern in my life is that whenever I, I perceive someone to have feelings of displeasure towards me, or wherever I perceive to have some feelings of myself towards a person, like, I think this person is like that, that's why I don't like a person, I will refuse to partner the assumption and refuse to build a narrative in my head. And the way you do that is you connect. You take the person out for a meal. You connect the person. And what's the worst thing that can happen? This person doesn't like me. This person likes me. You take the person out, and then, ta-da, the truth is out there. If the person doesn't like you, he will tell you he doesn't like you, right? That's the worst thing that happens. Rather than live life based on an assumption and build a false narrative. And then by definition, by extension, you're not giving the person the benefit of the doubt. You are, in, you are almost intentionally putting this person on the box of this person hate me without giving the person the opportunity to prove otherwise. And we do that all the time. We go, this person doesn't like me. Avoid, you know, form a narrative in my head. And I like to say to you that, that for me, the best friends in my life, all of them, Excel included, it all started with some feelings of animosity. <laughs> I'll show you a picture. Axel was a fat boy. I was a fat boy, and Axel called me fat. And so I was like, this guy is in denial. And, and you know, it all started with, but you no, know, God has done a great work in his life, yada, 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 and all that. But it all started with animosity. But when we got free of these assumptions that we built up in our head, there is the depth in relationship. Do you know that the enemy hates us to be connected? And is there any wonder why some of the best relationships you have in life start out in animosity? start out in conflict, start out in false assumptions. Instead of looking at these feelings towards people as a barrier to connection, run into them. Run into them. Hey, I think you don't like me. Let's go have a coffee, you know. I know a lot of you want to do this to me, but no. Next week, next week. A lot of appointments, suddenly. <laughs> Am I making sense? Yeah? Do you agree with me, Yes. Okay, you know, running out of time, I'm just going to do this next one quickly. It's pretty intuitive, but the next step we have to do is to become shame resilient. Become shame resilient. Here's the first three things we need to know about shame. We all have it. Shame is universal. The only people who don't experience shame lack the capacity for empathy and human connection, and we are all afraid to talk about shame. And shame is this. It's the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And shame needs three things to grow. In our lives, it's secrecy, silence, and judgment. And what we need to do to become shame resilient is that we need to share our experience. We need to share our pain, our needs, and not be afraid to do so. Shame happens between people. Therefore, in order for shame to be healed, it has to happen between people as well. Am I making sense? And the truth is, often when we choose to share the stuff that we're going through, we pave the way for to discover our common humanity. That is that we all struggle, that we all flaunt, that we all go through stuff and that we all need each other. I'm certain that you, know, you haven't gone to a person who's like come up and share a need to you. And like, Weak! Weakness! Avoid! You, know, you, you don't. You embrace that. You go like, hey, that was courage. That took something. And I admire you for that. And that actually sets the tone for a relationship. And then you share needs. You feel free to share. The same thing happens when we choose to break free of shame. And the last one is this, and this is going to take five minutes for me to cover, but, and it's important, and that is this, that we need to rediscover the practice of silence and solitude. Practice silence and solitude. 
And this is so counterintuitive. You're saying be alone to be free from loneliness? Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying, that you have to be alone to be free of loneliness. And I'll explain why in a bit. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. This is a verse that says, very early in the next morning, long before daylight, Jesus got up and left the house. He went out of the town to a lonely place where he prayed. Love that. Loneliness at its root is a spiritual issue. We don't need to merely hang out with more friends. We don't need to merely learn how to speak love languages. We need help. We need a saviour. And this is a cliche statement, right? You know, hey, you're lonely, you're going through stuff. Lean on Jesus, cling to Jesus. Jesus is all you need in life. And we go, cliche, cliche. And some of you have already rolled eyes in your heart when I was saying this, you know, like, I know I'm alone already. You're saying lean on Jesus. I know, I know. It's such a cliche statement. But my suggestion to you today is that it's a cliche for a reason. It is gospel truth, whether you like it or not. You know, I have an IKEA uh, bedside table in my house, you know, and when I built it, I did not look at the instruction manual like a typical dude. Maybe not a typical dude, just typical Andre. And I built it, and the door doesn't shut, shut right. It's like crooked on one side, and I just live with it, right? And we all know that the people who designed, who created this thing, when they gave the instruction, right, it stands true, yes? And we ought to follow the instructions, right? right? Because they created it. We can all admit here as Christ followers that God created us. He designed us. He fashioned us. But oftentimes we look at his instruction, his manual for life in the same regard as I look at the IKEA instruction manual. We go, that's a great suggestion. I know I'll do things my way. <laughs> that, hey, God, you know, that's good. You know, but I know what's satisfying me. I know what truly will complete me. A can of Coke and Netflix. And you, and you think you know better, but then you live a crooked life. You know? Things just doesn't fit right. It doesn't, the door just doesn't shut right. It's a cliche for a reason, because it's gospel truth. We are humans, not machines. We are made for rhythms of silence and noise, community and solitude. It is unhealthy to always have people around, as well as to rarely want them. God made us for cycles and seasons, for routines and cadences. We're all familiar with this passage. It goes in Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. And I love the word still. The word still in its original language is the word rafa, which means weakness. Be weak and know that I am God. And we all know that it is sometimes in the moments of our greatest weakness that we truly see the face of God. In the midst of needing provision, we see his face as provider. In the midst of our sickness, our illness, we see him as healer. In the midst of our battle, we see him as the one who fights for us. Be still and know that I am God. But the word still literally means also to not move. To be still, to not Move, you know, and I think about uh, stillness in, in this regard. I think about it like a, a, a jar of like river water, you know, and river water will have sediments. I have trouble finding sediments, and so just picture sediments in there. And uh, we all know, okay, if, if this is a water filled sand, and if I were to keep shaking it, right, the sand will get all over the place, it'll get really murky, and you can't see through it, right? And this is how we live life, okay? We live life going through life at this pace hurry, busyness, the hustle and bustle in life. Okay? And things are shaking up all about. And you can't see. But if you were to put things at a place of stillness and let the law of gravity work, the sediments, the sand will eventually settle beneath the surface. Settle at the base of the jar, like, as you can see. And all of a sudden, you have clarity once again. And that is what stillness does. Stillness restores the clarity 
that the noise, the busyness, the hustle of life has eliminated. When a jar of river water sits still, the law of gravity causes the sediment to eventually settle to the bottom so that the water becomes clear. We don't have to do anything to, to cause that settling except leave the jar alone for a while. The same is true of the spiritual law of gravity. When we sit quietly in God's presence, the sediment that is swirling in our souls begins to settle. We don't have to do anything but show up and trust the spiritual law of gravity that says, be still, and then the knowing will come. I love this line. It says that we run at breakneck pace to try and achieve what God simply wants us to slow down enough to receive. A couple of quotes for you as we wrap up. Lisa Turkus, she said this, Jesus doesn't participate in the red race. He's into the slower rhythms of life, like abiding, delighting, and dwelling. All words that require us to trust him with our place and our pace. Dallas Willard, how can I end an ordering someone without Dallas Willard quote? And Dallas Willard says this, solitude, well-practiced, will break the power of busyness, haste, isolation, and loneliness. You will see that the world is not on your shoulders after all. You will find yourself and God will find you in new ways. Silence also brings Sabbath to you a complete solitude, for without it, you cannot be alone, far from being a mere absence. Silence allows the reality of God to stand in the midst of your life. God does not ordinarily compete for our attention, but in silence, we come to attend. We need to rediscover the lost practice, and this is something that I grew up with. These words, okay, some of you, when I say these words, you go like, oh, religiosity, religiosity, but, but it stands true. We need to rediscover the practice of quiet time. And quiet time literally is quiet time. Quiet time, where we choose okay, to bridle our soul, to bridle our lives into a posture of quietness. Now, I'm going to get through this really quickly, but how many of you have heard the term Dark Knight of the Soul? Dark Knight of the Soul, yes. And the, the term Dark Knight of the Soul was coined from a poem written by St. John of the Cross that describes uh, a spiritual crisis in a journey towards our union with God. And, uh, you know, this spiritual crisis is usually temporary and it may, or it may even endure for a long time. And when they were reading the writings and the journal entries of Mother Teresa, St. Teresa, they realized and they, they, they remarked that she went through a dark night of the soul, a place of spiritual crisis from 1948 to 1997. Some of us go through spiritual crisis for two weeks and we're like, Jesus doesn't exist. But 1948 to 1997, she writes this you know, in a journal. She's like, where is my faith? Even deep down, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. If there be God, please forgive me. When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. This is Mother Teresa. And the question is, how did she overcome? How did she battle this darkness of the soul? Henry Nowen, okay, brilliant guy, also amazing. Henry Nowen once interacted with Mother Teresa. Let's just, let, just let that sit in for a while. Henry Nowen once hanged out with Mother Teresa <laughs> to be a fly on that wall. But Henry Nowen once asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction, something that we have to do, we should do more often. And she asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction, like, what do you do? How do you stay true to course? And she said this, Spend one hour each day alone in adoration of your Lord. And then she said, never do anything that you know is bad. Follow this and you'll be okay. Simple. Simple gospel truth. Spend one, one hour alone each day in adoration of God. And then don't do bad things, bad boy. You're, you're okay. It's an invitation, right? And I'm just going to give us like a, a, a simple like 
guideline for how to do quiet time. And it goes like this, you know, find a sacred time and space, set time aside for God, you know, set time aside for God. It might be in the morning, it might be before you sleep at night, but set a sacred time and place, set it aside. Like your word for your friend, like your word for a spouse, put it in your calendar, set it aside. Don't be haphazard with it. And begin with a modest goal. All of us, we heard the Mother Teresa story and be like, I'm going to do one hour. Start with a modest goal, okay? For some of you, if this is new, five minutes, ten minutes, begin with a modest goal. Get comfortable, rid yourself of all distraction. I used to think that quiet time can only happen on knees and I have a knee problem. So like when I kneel down and they're like, oh my gosh, my knees, my knees. And I'm like, pain for the Lord, pain for Jesus. And, you know, I get distracted and I'm not communing, you know, at all. So get comfortable, rid yourself of all distraction. And a distraction might even be your prayer list. It might even be your prayer list. It might even be the things you want to intercede for. Think about that. Think about true connection, okay? When we connect with one another, we don't connect based on tasks, based on things to do. We connect, we share life when there's the exchange of life. Same thing for God. Pray a simple prayer, expressing your openness and desire for God. You know, uh, the thing I'll do is that I'll find a line or a specific prayer and I'll just keep repeating it. God, I just want more of you. God, like, no, make me more aware of you. And just pray that prayer again and again and again and again. And I'll just allow myself to be quiet. And the last and the most important thing is this. Resist the urge to judge yourself or your experiences in silence. And oftentimes we rate our quiet time, do we? We go like, hey, you know, spending time with Jesus, I need like this amount of takeaway. I need this amount of revelation. I need to like experience this. And then when we don't experience something, we go, hey, that was an ineffective quiet time. But we don't do that with our natural relationships, do we? Like when I have coffee, Jason, I don't go like, hey, you know, we didn't like, we didn't really get it, you know. We didn't like, you know, I didn't feel, I didn't like, you know. Right. You know, we don't do that with our natural relationships. Just the simple act of being present, just a simple act of com- connecting and communing over a cup of coffee, sitting there. Me and my wife, we are just a big fans. We are just big fans of being quiet in front of each other. It's just our thing. But I feel, we feel loved. We feel connected. Same thing for, for God. No? Resist the urge to judge yourself or the experience in silence. The last quote I have for this uh, as we wrap up the service is this. From a pastor called, uh, named Paul Mattis, pastors uh, in a church called The Village. He says this, Sometimes we call loneliness what God's word calls a longing for unhindered in the mercy with him and others. And we start thinking that other people can provide us what only God can provide. And it amazes me how often I call loneliness what is actually a groaning for redemption. And instead of trying to numb it, I should embrace it and try to realize that that's God's good gift to me to remind me that this world is not my home. He is truly the one who satisfies all our desires. Every lonely heart is a heart that's craving for Jesus. May we all say, you know, be able to say this prayer that Jesus said or this statement that Jesus said in John 16 says this, you will leave me all alone yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. Though the circumstances in life may suggest to me that I am all alone though I feel the dark night of my very soul but I'm not a blade of grass cracking through a crack of cement I'm not a choir where no one sings I'm not a congregation or that's a sanctuary with no congregation I am not alone I have Jesus. Can we stand? As a worship team leads us and you'll never walk alone. <laughs> I think your soul, your soul will just implode if you sing that song. <laughs>
you'll never walk alone. How many of you thought that was helpful? Yes? Yeah? Awesome. Well, I'd like to pray for some folks today, you know, and, uh, you know, like I said earlier, um, the holiday season is it's a time of great joy, great celebration, but it's also a time where, you know, some of you might come to a realization that, hey, actually, I don't have much going on in life. You know, sometimes loneliness looks like a special occasion without a special person. <laughs> you know, it looks like, it looks like a meal on the table with no one to sit with. And loneliness can be very apparent, it can be really real. And you might be going through that in your life. And this is not a laughing matter, this is not a joke. Some of you are, are literally without the company of friends, without the company of family, you are isolated, you are alone. And you know, it's my prayer that this church will be your community, that we will indeed be intentional and be serious about meeting lonely people. But I think beyond that, you know, I, I, I know for a fact that no matter how awesome this community is, that we will truly never satisfy the, the true longing of the heart. That, that it's Jesus who satisfies your very soul. And today, you know, I pray that you will have an encounter with Him. And you will experience Him beyond just a feeling, beyond just goosebumps, that you will truly experience His nearness, even in the midst of your pain and your isolation, that you will feel the warmth of His embrace. Alright? And so I'd love to pray for you if that is you. And so, can we just uh, have uh, every eye closed and every head bowed in this place? No one looking around, and I know this is a very vulnerable thing for some people to admit, so I would really appreciate it. No eyes, no eyes open, every head bowed. No eyes open, every head bowed. Even the worship team has their eyes closed and their head bowed. And I know this is a very vulnerable thing, but uh, what I've come to realize is that when you choose to let light into the midst of the darkness, darkness instantly dispels. Darkness cannot stay together with light. And so today, in our attempt to be free from shame, to build meaningful communities, to experience the nearness of God, if that is you, you battle with loneliness, you come into agreement with that, I'd like to pray for you for the warmth of God's embrace to meet you right where you're at. So there's you at the count of three. Just shoot your hands up, put it down, and I'd love to pray for you. One, two, three. Is there anyone? Thank you, I see your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to wait 10 more seconds. If that is you, just shoot your hands up. I'd love to pray for you. You battle with the feelings of loneliness, of loss, isolation, alienation. You struggle with believing that you are valued, that you have worth. Thank you, Assurance. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, all across the room, just put a hand on your own heart. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge here today that you are truly the one who satisfies our soul. That in you, we are to find all fulfillment satisfaction, joy, and pleasure. God, first and foremost, do a work in our hearts this morning. Lord, for where our heart chooses to wander, chooses to find joy in the things of this earth, Lord, realign our hearts once again. Realign our hearts to that first love that warned us right from the start. Realign us to desiring you above all else once again. And God, we pray even today for the ones who are battling with loneliness, who struggle with feelings of value, worth, belonging, who struggle with feelings of isolation and alienation. God, we pray specifically for these people. God, we ask for the warmth of your embrace to be made manifest in their lives, for your very nearness, 
God, we thank you for that great promise that says that when we draw near to you, you'll surely draw near to us. Father, we thank you that you are the one who has made the first step toward us. And God, in response to that love, in response to that summons, we say yes to experiencing you intimately. God, we ask indeed, let every lonely heart be met with the abounding love of Christ. Let every lonely heart be met with our very present, our ever-present help in time of need. Let every lonely heart be met with the infinite value and worth that has been attributed to us through the cross. The cross that says we are valued, we are of worth, we belong. In Jesus' name, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Worship team, just lead us in the song. Let's respond to God together.